Well, man, it is, it's awesome to be with you guys. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've been here throughout the semester, we are preaching through Ephesians here at Crosspoint. Uh, like Joe said, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, I've lived in Nacogdoches for about eight years, uh, about five years of that. This was kind of my home, got to do Crosspoint. I was a college pastor for about five years, and then three years ago, kind of got shifted to Sunday mornings, doing the lead pastor stuff on Sunday mornings, but this still feels like home to me, and I love Crosspoint. I know that I know a lot of you, there's some of you that I don't know, so I want to just tell you a little bit about myself. This is my family, uh, kind of a good depiction of our lives. There's kids everywhere, upside down. Uh, that's my wife, Katie. We have been married for 13 years now. Uh, she's my best friend. She's my partner in ministry. Uh, that's my little girl, Anna. She is about to turn seven. Uh, she knows a lot, and she will tell you everything that she knows. And then that's my little boy, Caleb. Uh, he's the sweetest little kid in the world, thankfully, because his sister is not that sweet. So it works out really well. Uh, this is the newest edition. We have an eight-week-old little boy named Jake. Uh, that's not always how he looks. In fact, that's like a very rare moment. He usually looks more like this. Uh, but I wanted to... I wanted you to make sure, I wanted you to know that my baby's not always angry. So I thought that was a great depiction of how life feels sometimes. So this is weekend, Monday morning, right? <laughs> Before coffee, after coffee. So a good depiction of, of kind of what my life looks like. Um, Ephesians 4, really, really Terrell invited me to speak tonight because he knew that this passage is really one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, so it really wasn't that Terrell didn't want to preach. He knew that this passage was something that is really central to my life and central to my heart. And as a staff here at Grace, uh, this passage has been formative in really helping us and guiding us to try to understand what it means to be God's church. And so we'll get back to that in a minute. This is a passage really where Paul is describing the church. and He's describing what the church of God is supposed to look like. But, but, but in order to understand really where I'm going to come from with this, I need to tell you a bit of my story and a bit of my background. Um, I grew up in a little town called Pampa, Texas, up in the very top of Texas, uh, the Panhandle. Uh, usually people drive through there on the, their way to go skiing, and if we get really lucky, you stop and get gas and use our bathrooms and then keep on going to the mountains. Uh, that's kind of what my town is known for. Uh, grew up in a, a family that always talked about Jesus Grew up in, with parents that from, from really my very earliest memories taught me the Bible and taught me who Jesus was. And so I was baptized as a seven-year-old and went to Sunday school, went to church, did all of that. And I would tell you that somewhere along the way, I, I believed in Jesus and I knew who Jesus was. But beginning in about middle school and really on through college, there was this deep emptiness in me and this deep angst in me that I couldn't even put words to. And I never told anybody that because church seemed like a very unsafe place to admit that. And so I would go to church and I would go through all the motions that my parents wanted me to go through and I would do all of that. But there was this love for Jesus in me and this love for scripture in me. But for some reason, church frustrated me greatly. And so I actually, when I was young, I, I, I went and told my parents, I think that God is calling me to use my life for the ministry, but I do not want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. And so I went through school and I went through all of this and I decided I was going to go to college and I was going to major in pre-med, biomedical science, and I was going to get a medical degree. And then my plan was to go to the mission field so that I could serve God but didn't have to do anything to do with the church. That was kind of my bargain with God. And so I went through three years of biomedical science and, and, and was working my way through it. And at the end of my junior year, I decided that I was going to intern for a doctor and try to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I spent a week with this doctor in my hometown, and it was the worst week of my life. Uh, I, my, my dad's a veterinarian, and so I had been a part of animal surgeries and animal blood, and that stuff didn't bother me. But human blood was different. 
And I learned that that week and just tried to begin to sort through, okay, so now what do I do with my life and how do I explain to my parents that the three years of pre-med that they just spent money on is no longer where I want to go with my life? And so through a series of events, I'd, I'd been growing in college and some men had been pouring into me and discipling me and I got the chance to start leading some Bible studies and I enjoyed that, but I was afraid that I didn't know what I was talking about and I didn't know scripture. And so I began to pray about my future and, and God just kind of led me to this place of deciding that I wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to go to school to really just learn the Bible, to, to be able to understand what God's word was. And so I went into seminary, and uh, the way that you start seminary is they give you a test of your biblical and theological knowledge. Uh, 75 questions on theology, 75 questions on the Bible, and I bombed it. Uh, I'm pretty sure I made the lowest score that has ever been made on that test. And I remember taking it and thinking, they're going to call me and tell me to leave right now. But I went into seminary, and I, I just began to learn God's Word and learn to study. And in that time, God ignited this passion for me uh, about the church. And it was the strangest thing to me because for all my life, I had been kind of bitter towards the church, and I had been hurt in the church, and I had all this resentment towards the church and did not want to be a pastor. And in the midst of these four years, not only did God increase my passion for Jesus, but He began to give me this strange passion for His church. And it was, it was strange for me because the passion for his church didn't feel like excitement. It felt like anger. I was angry. And, and I would go to churches and I would read the book of Acts. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I would read the book of Acts and I would go to church and I was trying to figure out how these two things were the same thing. How, how what I was reading in the Bible was the same thing that I had experienced in the churches that I had been a part of for all my life. And I just couldn't figure it out. And so as I read, as I began to pray, I began to see that, that I was angry because God had placed this passion on me for the church to be the church. And it was passages like this one in Ephesians chapter 4. I remember reading this and thinking, that's what church should be like. I remember reading passages like Acts chapter 2 that describes the early church and it tells us this is how the church operated and it was nothing to do with buildings and budgets and programs. It was literally a family of Christ followers on mission together taking the gospel into the world. And, and something in my heart just ignited a, around that. And so about eight years ago, I was finishing up seminary and still trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and Grace Bible Church in Nacogdoches, Texas called and I'd never been to Nacogdoches. I tried to Google it, didn't know how to spell it, and I was trying to figure out where this place was. And I came here, and I saw this church, and, and I began to interview, and they told me, we want someone who will come here and just share the gospel with college students, just, just be a missionary on the campus. And so I came here, and then as I came here, God just began to ignite this passion more and more that the church of God would be the church of God, that the church of Acts, the church that we're going to read about here, that this would be the way that we see the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's in this passage, Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, that we're going to see some beautiful things, and it's Paul describing for us, this is what God's church is. That the buildings are optional. You can have church with that building or without a building. The, 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 all the, the American things that we tie into it are optional, but this is the essence of what church should look like. And, and what Paul's going to say is that there are two essential elements of the church. Terrell talked about one of them last week, that there's one essential element of the church is unity. That there has to be this uncommon unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we come here and the essential things of the gospel remain the essential things of the gospel. In other words, we don't get sidetracked and talk about things that are not the gospel. We bring people to the gospel every single day, every single week. The message of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so, so there's unity. And if you read that passage with Terrell last week, he talks about all these things, that there's one baptism, one spirit, one faith. That there's this essential unity that, that we have as believers in Christ. And then in verse 7, where we're going to pick up tonight, he moves from unity and he begins to talk about this second ingredient called diversity. And it's this strange combination that he puts together. That the church of Jesus Christ is to be this unified people, but they're to be beautifully diverse. And, and if, you, if you can see what God is saying here, he's telling us that he wants his church, he wants all of us to look different. He wants us to have passions about different things. He wants us to be gifted in different ways. He wants us to dress different, listen to different music. He wants this beautifully diverse group of people who have nothing in common outside of Jesus to come together around the person of Jesus and change the world. And it's this beautiful description of what the church should be, a beautifully diverse people who are unified around the gospel and around Jesus Christ. And, and so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, this idea of diversity and what it looks like for you and what it looks like for us as a church, what it looks like in your small group, what it looks like in our city as we work with other churches. This beautifully diverse group of people who are unified around the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. That's really what this passage is all about. And so I, I'm not going to use the whiteboard tonight. Terrell didn't give me permission to do that, and my handwriting's terrible. But I am going to go back to Genesis for just a second, if it, just, just to make sure Terrell's okay tonight. I'm going to go back to Genesis just for a second. You don't have to turn back there. But I want to root this in the very nature of God. See, this idea of a unity and a diversity coming together starts and, and really is the fullest with the Trinity. Right? This idea of a diverse being being fully unified, that's really a beautiful description of what the Trinity is. That for all of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, incredibly diverse, incredibly different, have been together unified in about one thing, the glory of God. And so this beautiful diversity and this unity actually is a reflection of the Godhead. And so the, the picture I have up on the screen, this is, to me, the summary of Scripture. This, this is the entire story of the Bible in four words. It's creation and then fall and then redemption and restoration. It's a story of a God who created. And so Genesis chapter 1 and 2, this diverse God creates man and woman. And this, this beautifully diverse God creates Adam and Eve, and when he creates them, he creates them in his image. And so, so they are unified, but they are diverse, right? The, the man and the woman are very, very different, but they are unified because they are in step with their creator, and they are in step with one another. And so for two chapters in the creation narrative, we have everything working the way it's supposed to work. Uh, the Hebrew word there is shalom or peace. There's this rhythm with which everything is happening the way it's supposed to happen. Everything is fulfilling the role for which it was created to, 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 to fulfill. So, so everything is working. Everything is right. The, the man and the woman are unique and different but complementary. Their, their uniqueness and their differences are meant to complement one another, not to compete with one another. And then we go from Genesis 1 and 2, the creation narrative, to Genesis chapter 3, where everything is broken by our rebellion. Everything is broken as mankind takes God out of the center and we place ourselves there. That, that we will now be the king over our own lives. And immediately you see what happens. No longer is there the oneness for which we were created. That the oneness that we experience with our creator God is gone. That there's separation now because of our sin and because of his holiness. There's separation, no longer unity between us and God. And immediately, what do Adam and Eve do? 
that they run and they hide from one another, they cover themselves with fig leaves, the oneness with each other is broken. And do you see what happens at that moment? The unity is broken and now diversity is no longer a gift. Diversity is now something that divides. It begins in the garden. Diversity is now something that they look at each other and they hide from each other. They, they look at each other and if you continue the narrative of Scripture, now the things that make us unique, we use them to compete with each other over. The things that make us unique, we, we look at people who are not like us and instead of seeing the beauty of God's design in that, we see that's someone to compete with me and I don't want to be around them. See, everything is shattered. This idea of diversity and unity is broken with the fall and the entire rest of Scripture from Genesis chapter 4 until Revelation is this story of redemption. It's the story of, of mankind recognizing our brokenness, brokenness and then God stepping into creation in Jesus Christ to restore the unity that we once had with the Father, to restore us understanding the diversity that we now have and that's a gift to us, not a curse. And so, so this is what Paul is describing in, in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're looking there, if you'll, if you'll look at Ephesians chapter 4, I want to reread now what, what Terrell wrote, or was taught about last week and I'll just hit this very quickly and then move on. But Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is just unpacking this. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, he described how God restored the unity between us and him for three chapters. The focus was not on what we were doing for God. It was what God did for us to restore the broken relationship that we once had. So there's now, once again, through Christ, unity between mankind and God. And then in chapter 4, he turns and he's no longer talking about unity between us and God. He's talking about the restored unity between one another. So, so let me just read these words to you again. He says, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of what you've been called. In other words, for three chapters, I've been showing you the, the unity that God has restored between you and him. And now, because you understand that you're reconnected with your father, you are enabled to reconnect with one another. That this idea that our unity has been restored in Christ. He begins to describe that. He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so, so a restored unity with our Father through Jesus Christ. That was Ephesians 1 through 3. And now he begins to apply this and he says, because you have been restored to unity with your Father, you can once again walk in unity with one another. You can show patience and kindness and forgive other people the way that you've been forgiven in Christ. And then he begins to describe why that's so difficult. See, I, I would imagine that none of us would read that and think that that's a bad idea, that, that unity's a bad idea. We, we read that and I think most of us are in agreement that it would be great if we all got along. It would be great if we were unified. It would be great if it was easy to be kind to one another. But there's a reason why diversity is so difficult. It's difficult because we are very, very different people. And, and because we are different, because we are diverse, we, we, we have this choice before us. See, Satan wants to use our differences to divide us. And what this passage is going to tell us is that Jesus wants to use our differences to display him. That, that our diversity will either divide us or it will display Christ to the world in a way that nothing else can. And so look at verse 7. 
He just gets into this thing called diversity, this idea that we are different. And I, I want to just walk through this with you and, and hopefully help you see some things about yourself and also some things about this diversity that we're called to be a part of. But it starts in verse 7. He, he, he goes from unity to diversity now. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That grace was given to each one of us in accordance to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, what, what that means in very simple language is that every single believer, every single follower of Christ has been given a specific gifting. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given by God this grace. He, he's not speaking about the grace of salvation. He's speaking about the grace in a specific gifting, a specific temperament, personality, uh, the way that you live your life, that God has intentionally designed you that way. And so the things that are strong about you are strong because God designed it that way. The things that are weak about you are weak because God has designed you that way. You are the way you are because God set out with a plan for you and you in connection with the rest of the body that was intentional. See, God has given every person a, a gift. Every person is designed differently on purpose. And he's, it says that he's not only given different gifts, but this is hard to wrap your mind around. It says he's given different gifts in different measures. So, so not only are you different from each other, but there are some people who have the same gift as you, but, but more of it. And God's just saying, I've done this. I've given gifts out to people and everybody has them and they're in different measures. That I've given my gifts to people. And then, and then Paul takes this little rabbit trail and I want, I want you to stay with me. What he's doing here is beautiful, but it's kind of hard to see. Look at verse 8. It says, therefore, it says, uh, it there is Psalm 68. And so, so Paul's going to quote from the Old Testament. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's Psalm 68. And then he goes on to explain that. He says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. See, see Paul is trying to describe to us that God has given us specific gifts and that the purpose of those gifts is what? That the glory of God. And the way that he describes this is he points us to, to Psalm 68. If you read Psalm 68, this is a psalm that is a, a victory psalm. It's a psalm that describes a victorious king coming back into his city, and it's basically a victory parade putting the victorious king on display. And so what, what Paul is describing here is this, this victory parade that, it, that in those days when you won a war, not only did you win the war, but nations and kings would come back to the cities and they would hold these massive victory parades. Uh, I think the closest that we can think about it is when sports teams win a championship and they go through the streets of their town so that everybody could see the trophy. In those days after the war, the king would come home and he would walk through the streets of his city announcing victory to the people in the city. And, and in that parade, he would, the, the king would be out front, the king would lead the way with all the spoils of victory behind him. Everything that the king had conquered would walk behind him and they would walk through the streets. And the centerpiece of this parade were the people that, that were captured that, that, that the king had re reclaimed. It would be the, the people who, have, who had been captured, the, the spoils of victory, those who had been held captive that the king had set free, they would be walking behind him and this, the nation would just celebrate together the marching through the streets and the distributing of the, the spoils of victory of, of war. 
And so Paul is using this imagery and he's saying that is what Christ is doing with you. That Christ is proclaiming his victory over this world by walking through the streets and you are the victory parade. That the gifts that he has given you, when you operate in those gifts, you are a display to the world around you that the king has won victory over the world. You were a sign of, of victory to all the world that, that he who descended to the earth defeated death and now he's ascended back into the heavens but that we are the display of Christ on this earth. This, this beautiful idea that, that, that we are the people, we are the, the image of his victory on this earth. That when we're operating in the light of our diversity, people see Christ in us. And then look back at verse 11. This is perhaps the most important part of this. He, he kind of goes away from his, his thought that was a, a side note, and he comes back to the idea of gifting. And he begins to explain exactly how this looks within the church. Verse 11 is, is so incredibly important. He says here that, that he gave, that's, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And so as, as Paul is describing what the church looks like, and he says that God has given gifts, he, he names these five specific gifts, and he says he has given these five specific gifts to the church for the church. And what I want you to see here is that in these words, Paul is describing five different kinds of people. It's five very specific giftings that he gives to people. And so an apostle, there's two kinds of apostles in Scripture. One kind of apostle was those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. But there are other apostles in the book of Romans and in several places that were not eyewitnesses of the, the, the life of Christ. They were just those who were sent out to be the proclaimers of Christ's life. They were the sent ones. So he says there, there are some who are gifted as apostles. I want to just walk through these with you because you are one of these five. And, and this, there's an incredible uh, life that comes with knowing how God has designed you for his purpose. There, there are some who are apostles. They are sent ones. And so there are some of you in this room, your mind and your heart and your, everything about you when it comes to your walk with Christ, it's all about reaching out and going out and, and missions. You're an apostle. See, apostle means sent out one. Apostles are visionary. They're pioneering. They're always wanting to push into new territory. They're people that want to extend the gospel. They're literally the sent ones of the church. So if you're in a small group, you can probably pretty quickly think about the apostles in your group. While everybody else is content to stay small and to stay the group that you have, there's always a few people who are saying, man, there's some more people we need to reach. There's some more things we need to do. They're the ones that think about the future and bridge barriers and establish churches in new contexts. They develop leaders. They do things in new ways. These are the weird people who are not intimidated by change. Change actually, it actually excites them. And, and Paul is saying, this is one of the giftings that I've left in my church. There are sent ones that are a specific kind of person to be a part of the church. He says there are apostles, then he says there are prophets. And, and again, there's, there's, several, there's two kinds of prophets in the Bible. There are those in the Old Testament who heard and spoke directly for God. But there's also this gift of, of prophecy that is not speaking Scripture. It is someone who is incredibly gifted at hearing from God and speaking on God's behalf to others. So there is a gifting of prophecy within the church that is not thus saith the Lord. You realize that, that those in the Old Testament who were prophets, if they were wrong in their prophecy, what happened? They, they were stoned. 
That was the, that was the punishment for not getting a prophecy right. And so, so when we talk about prophecy in the New Testament, it's not I speak for God and what I say is authoritative. It's those who are very gifted at hearing from the Lord and then going to other people and saying, hey, listen, I was praying for you, and as I prayed for you, I think the Lord wanted you to see this. That there are some who are specifically gifted as those who hear and speak for God. Uh, that, that word prophet means spokesman. And, and so you can think about these people in your life as well. There are people that are around you that no matter what happens, they want to bring you back to the, the very heart of the truth of Scripture the heart of the truth of things that you're drifting away from. Prophets are gifted at hearing and listening to God. They're particularly attuned to God and to his truth. They, they bring correction and challenge, and they're the ones that aren't afraid to say the things that no one else wants to say. So there are some within the church, Paul says, that are prophets. And then he says this, this third category, there are evangelists. They're, they're, they are those who bring good news. And so, so there are some of you in this room who can walk up to a complete stranger and within three minutes, that guy's your best friend. And it's this amazing gifting that God has given you that you can walk up and start conversations and that God has given you a gift to literally be the bearer of good news. That, that you can expand the church and, and bring the church to new places because you are a, a person who wins other people over easily. See, uh, evangelists enter a room and people tend to be drawn to them. Uh, if that's you, that's not random. If, if you're one to whom people are drawn, that's a, a gifting that God has given you. You are gifted as an evangelist. These, these are people who are gifted at making each person feel like they matter deeply. They have a ton of friends, a, turn, a ton of magnetism. They, they're gifted in evangelists. He goes on to say that some are shepherds, that there are some who are specifically gifted at being in tune with the needs of the group, that there are some who, who know exactly what's going on in people's lives and they just care deeply about that. They, they shepherd people, they care for people, they pray with people. They, are just, they, they're, they have this heart of a shepherd. And then finally, there are some who God has given this gift of, of teaching. And that word means someone who holds out truth. They are just gifted at taking God's word and holding it out for, for others. And so it's these five titles, and, and I don't want to get too much into that, but what I want you to see is that you are gifted with at least one of those. That, that, that there's one of those that, that is you, and, re, and usually what happens is we tend to stay around people who are like us. And, and so, so my primary gifting is, a, is, is as an apostle, and so the most comfortable thing for me is to gather with other apostles. If you were a shepherd, the, probably the most comfortable thing for you is to gather with other people who are shepherds like you. If you're an evangelist, you probably like to hang out with evangelists. And see, the, the, the very point that Paul is making is that unless all five of these are present, then Christ isn't on display. Because I want you to think about this. Christ was the ultimate of all five of those, right? What, what Paul is describing in Ephesians 4.11 really is the DNA of Christ. If you don't have all five of those together, Christ isn't on display. Christ was the ultimate apostle, the ultimate sent one, Correct? John 3.16, so that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So, so Christ was the ultimate apostle. He was the ultimate prophet, the one who spoke truth like no one ever spoke truth before. He was the ultimate evangelist, the one who went and brought good news in a way that no one had ever brought good news. The ultimate shepherd, in fact, he said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who lays down my life for the sheep. The ultimate teacher, the one who expounded and taught the word of God with everything that he said. And so you can see in what Paul is describing here as diversity, that together, when you weave those five together, is Jesus. 
And, and when you begin to think through what he's saying here, you are one of those. And so what that means is it is impossible for you to image Christ by yourself. Does that make sense? You can image a part of Christ by yourself, but unless you're with other people who are not like you, who image Christ in different ways than you, you cannot image Christ. And so if I'm an apostle who gathers with other apostles, we're going to image a part of Christ, but the fullness of Christ is going to be missing. And, and so as we have prayed through our staff here at Grace, we want all five of these at the table. We, we want all five of these to sit, and what that usually means is that we disagree a lot. We sit and we think and we pray about where God is calling us as a church. And rather than there being one man who is gifted in one of these ways driving the ship, we like to sit and pray and disagree and, and, and realize that we need to hear from the other four in order for the fullness of Christ to be on display. See, see no matter what you are, all five of these have inherent strengths, but all five of these also have inherent weaknesses. And so, so if you're an apostle, you're always wanting to go out. The other apostles love that, but probably the rest of your small group is sick and tired of your new ideas. They're sick and tired of the new places you're wanting to go. If you're a prophet, if you're one who hears from God and speaks from God, you get really frustrated when other people don't hear and speak to God the way you do. If you're an evangelist, you look at other people who don't have the gift that you have, and you tend to get really frustrated because evangelism just becomes such a passion for you, and it's so easy. If you're a shepherd, you feel like you're the only one who cares. If you're a teacher, you want other people to understand and to, to want to learn and to want to be hungry in the same way that you're hungry. And, and the argument that, that, that Paul is making here is that this is the way that God has designed it on purpose. That we would know our gifting, that we would know that God has given us these identities on purpose. That, that each and every one of you, you are one of these and, and really you're some kind of combination of these but that it's so important for you to realize that in your diversity, it's so easy to divide. In, in our small groups, it's so easy for it to become a group of people who think alike and look at the world alike and see things and, and, and want to do the same types of things. And, and Paul is urging us here that you need to see that I have designed diversity not to, to divide you, but I've designed diversity that Christ and his fullness may be put on display. I want apostles who will be sent out. I want prophets who will be speaking truth. I want evangelists who will be inviting new people into our group. I want shepherds who will take care of needs. I want teachers who can expound the truth. See, when all five of those become present in our churches, in our groups, the thing becomes, becomes healthy. Look, look at how this passage ends. Verse 11. He, he talks about these giftings. He says he gave some to be apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And then he begins to describe the results of this. That, that if the church is functioning in this way with an, an, an uncommon unity and this beautiful diversity, he says that verse 12, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So, so in other words, this isn't a staff of pastors or, or the, the paid professional Christians doing the work of the ministry he says that the goal of the church is that you guys would be the ministers, that you guys would be speaking truth to each other, that you guys would be engaging the campus, that, that our job is to equip and your job is to go out and to be those who are ministering, that the, 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 the saints do the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. You would know how to speak truth into each other and build each other up. He says, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried, uh, carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And he just describes the, this beautiful idea that when there is an uncommon unity and a beautiful diversity, the result of that is maturity. Uh, the result of that is that every person sees, I have a part to play here. God has gifted me to be a part of this body and to minister to the other people in this body. That, that I'm to speak the truth in love to the other people in this body. That I'm to, to play my part and to realize that Christ is the head of this. Christ is the hero. Christ is the one who gets to be put on display and the parts that we play just serve that purpose to, to, to lift Christ high, to exalt him. Right, so this is this beautiful idea that the church is this place of diversity. And I would just challenge you in a few ways tonight, and I, I hope that you'll take this away and look into this and study it, but I want to challenge you in, in a few specific ways. One, do you know how you're gifted? Do, do you know your strengths? Do you know your weaknesses? Uh, most of us don't know our strengths. In fact, most people think that other people think and act the same way that they do. And that's not true. God has designed us diversely on purpose. And so you are strong because God has made you strong in certain areas. And the way that this usually plays itself out, there are things that have come very easy to you that, that you think just come easy to everybody, and that's not true. If you're an evangelist, evangelism just comes easy to you because God has gifted you for that. It doesn't come easy to everybody. And so the, the place to start with this is to realize God has gifted me in a very specific way. What is that? What, what are the strengths of that? And as you begin to discover, here's how God has made me strong. You begin to realize that God has made you strong in specific ways, not for your kingdom, not for your glory, but that, that the body of Christ may be built up. Right, so, so wherever you are strong, you, you see that and you also control that, that the body may be built up and that your gift may not be about you and it may not be about your kingdom advancing. It's about the body of Christ being healthier because you have submitted and they're serving the others with that gift. See, your gift makes you unique, but your gift doesn't make you special. Your gift makes you unique, but it doesn't make you special. It doesn't make you better than others. It makes you in a place where you can serve them with that gift. And so, so what is your gifting? Do you know that? Uh, if you don't know that, on the way out, there's, by each of the back doors, I've, I've left a little uh, a test that, that kind of shows you uh, with the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. It's a, like a five-minute thing you can do, and it'll give you an indicator of this is the way that I think you're, you're wired. And I would encourage you just to take a second to take that and think through that. And there's also a description on there of here's what that means, and here's how you can begin to dig into that. But this is where in, in, understanding this diversity and living in it is, is so important. What, what are you gifted in? In what way has God designed you diversely to serve the needs of the body? And then the second question I would ask you is, not only do you know where you're gifted, are you surrounding yourself with people who are not like you? It's the only way that Christ is displayed in you. That, that you would know how you're gifted and that you would decide, I'm not going to champion what I am. I'm actually going to serve others and I'm going to actually surround myself and celebrate people who are not at all like me. And, and so Terrell and I don't think very much alike at all. In fact, we are completely opposite. But God has used that so much in each of, each of our lives to begin to think through things together and to bring us to a place where Christ is the hero. 
If you know Jeremiah, one of our other lead pastors, he's the most shepherd-hearted guy I know, and that's probably my lowest one. And so when we get together, I need him to speak those words of a shepherd into my life that I may see things through that perspective. See, not only do you need to know what you are, but in order to, to understand this diversity, you need to surround yourself with people who are nothing like you. And you need to give them the freedom to speak into your life the words that God has given them to speak into your life. And, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to disagree. So, so our staff meetings are a place where we disagree a lot, and that's actually the design of it. That, that we would have a staff that freely disagrees, but that loves each other deeply. And that we would sit there and disagree, and as a plurality of leaders, that we would come before the Lord and say, God, we're all wired different ways, and we see things different ways, but we're going to come before you, and we want to honor you and exalt you. And it's amazing how in the midst of that conflict, in the midst of hearing from guys who see things different ways, God brings you back to the heart of the gospel. He brings you back to who Christ is and how he is exalted. And so that's my encouragement for you is that God has designed you the way you are for a reason. It's not random. And, and, and life begins when you begin to see this is where I'm strong and this is how I can use those, those strengths maturely for the benefit of the body that Christ may be exalted, that my brothers and sisters, that I may show them the love of Christ through my actions, that this beautiful diversity may be put on display to the world. See, see, what an incredible thing that the world would look at us and see a group of people who have nothing in common except for Christ living our lives together. Can you imagine that? A group of people who don't look anything alike and don't think anything alike and listen to different kinds of music and dress differently. We, we don't just hang out with people like us, but we actually come together and celebrate that diversity and say, listen, we are united because of Christ. We're united because of the gospel. And, and we're different in many ways, and we, we have differences all over the place, but Christ is the center of this. Christ is the head. Christ is the one who gets exalted here. And, and all of our gifts, as Psalm 68 describes, all of our gifts are just this display of Christ to the world that these aren't about us, these aren't about our kingdom being built. This is about the victory that Christ has won and the people that he has ransomed, the freedom that we have won and now getting to follow after him and, and, and be his victory parade to the world. So you, you can't image Christ by yourself. Your, your group can't image Christ if you're all the same. And so this beautiful unity that happens in the midst of a diverse group of people exalts Christ. It lifts Christ up. It's what Christ meant when he looked at the disciples and he said, they will know you by your love. They'll know that you're my disciples. They'll know that you're my followers because the way you treat each other. So let me pray for us. Uh, like I said, there are, there are surveys by each door. I encourage you to grab one of those. If you have questions, feel free to email me. I'd love to talk more about this.